1: So let's turn our attention then to the European Union, reaching an agreement on an overhaul of its rules for tackling immigration crises as it seeks to streamline asylum procedures and also boost return of people who fail to obtain the right to stay in the bloc. We've seen this on an individual level from countries, including Italy and others. The agreement comes as the region finds itself at the centre of a raft of diplomatic challenges. We've mentioned the war in Ukraine, Gaza, trade tensions with China, and also the US. Joining us now to discuss all of this, Baroness Catherine Ashton, a Labour life peer. She was the European Union's first high representative for foreign affairs and security policy. Also the first female EU commissioner for trade. A warm welcome to radio. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You're also the author of And Then What? Inside Stories of 21st Century Diplomacy. And so at this vital moment, I think, for European diplomacy... I wonder what your view is on the current political situation. How much is Europe moving to the right and why?
2: I used to say when I was high representative, there's always an election somewhere Hmm. in Europe. 28 then countries, now 27. You were always in a cycle. And it's very difficult to take a snapshot at any given moment. It will give you a false impression. So if you look now, we've got Poland with Donald Tusk. You couldn't get more European than the former president of the European Council. You've got the Netherlands with what will happen there. We don't quite know. You've got Slovakia, Mm. but he's been in government twice before, so he's a known quantity. And, of course, you've got Hungary with Viktor Orban, who has been the most consistently challenging member when it comes to, for example, support for Ukraine you look across and it's very difficult to give a real clear picture that says it's moving right it could be mm-hmm. we know that there are you know italy uh, we know that there are issues about what happens And so you after don't Macron. detect anything unique about the situation around
1: fortress europe and and really the increased focus on immigration i mean that's one
2: particular issue but you don't detect a right would move on that front I think in terms of uh, immigration mm-hmm it is something that is stoking a move to the right, and it's being used by the right to stoke the move to them. So it's an issue that people are concerned about. They're concerned about it because what they see is greater numbers of people on the move, and with climate change, we're likely to see more people on the move. A lot of them will not come anywhere near Europe. Most of it's happening on continents, particularly on Africa, Um, but we will see people wanting to come to Europe and that inevitably is an issue that political parties are going to have to show that they've thought about and they have a good response to Mm. and in the EU the big challenge is between southern states who are on the receiving end Mm. of lots of people and under the current rules people remain in the country in which they first arrive and the northern states and how far they're prepared to support the southern states both by taking people and by being willing to support and fund what's going to be necessary. And you've seen all the machinations going on in Brussels. And we've seen the proximity
0: between the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and his counterpart in Italy, Maloney, and their attempts to forge pretty controversial plans around uh, dealing with, with the immigration uh, challenges. Uh, we've, we've seen immigrants come from Ukraine, of course, and broadly welcomed at the start of the conflict. You mentioned Viktor Orban, who's been standing in the way of this funding that's so desperately needed for Ukraine to pursue its counter-offensives against those Russian forces. What is your expectation? Do you think Europe essentially and ultimately gets this across the line? Is he grandstanding to unlock funds that Hungary is looking for itself? Is this a domestic political play by him? Ultimately, do you think the EU manages to get this across the line?
2: I think they will. Um, I mean, Viktor Orban likes the benefits of membership very much, but doesn't like to do the stuff that actually would make a difference to others, either in the EU or outside the EU. And um, if necessary, what you will have is, a, is an, a sort of outside of the EU structure, an agreement between the other countries to produce the funds for Ukraine, with the commission supporting that. I mean, there are lots of ways around it. Europe- And the institutional framework looks very rigid when you first look at it, but they're very good at coming up with ways of fixing things or changing things. There is a problem, more generally, when you've got one country able to hold up something that all of the other countries feel is really important. But let me just make one note of caution. I don't think it's true in this case. But on other issues, sometimes when a country seems to be the only one causing a problem, there are other countries breathing a sigh of relief that they don't have to. So not on this, because I think genuinely this is Viktor Orban and Hungary holding out on their own. Mm. But what you sometimes see as one country holding out is actually not quite as simple as that.
1: Yeah, a fly carrier perhaps for dissenters. Um, How much... Pressure, do you think there is now to increase Europe's defence budget? And do you see that actually happening? I mean, we're always interested in the data at Bloomberg, and that is very important. This obviously is more overlapping with NATO countries and that pressure.
2: There always used to be a problem and a concern that somehow the defence part of the EU work was going to be in contradiction to nato mm. that somehow people would give money to the eu and not to nato and that was always a tension that particularly the us and actually the uk identified i think that's moved on and now what you've got is a much greater synergy and understanding that what the eu can do is beneficial to nato as well mm. so lots of practical work uh, that that was done by the European Defence Agency. So I do expect to see a push on European defence industries, yes. Mm.
0: And and briefly, your expectation about the relationship between the UK and Europe in the event that we get a Labour government here in the UK, do you see a significant, do you see a dramatic improvement in that relationship?
2: Not dramatic, but significant. I think there will be, uh, uh, on both sides, if you like, it's an opportunity to kind of have a different conversation not trapped in the conversations of the past. I think there will be a desire to, on foreign and security policies, have stronger relations. I see David Cameron, by the way, moving in that direction anyway, but I think more so. And I do think economically there'll be an attempt to try and make some of the difficult friction go away and actually find ways to collaborate more effectively.
1: Um, And just lastly, how much like... Uh, Tony Blair, obviously somebody that you worked with closely, is Keir Starmer, in in a word. Do you think he has that? Can he win?
2: (laughs) Well, I think it looks like he's going to win, not least because of Mm. what the Conservatives are are doing. Um, But every leader is completely different. So I never try and equate one with the other. Okay.
1: Uh, Baroness uh, Catherine Ashton, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with us. Labour Life Peer uh, and really a very interesting voice in terms of European but also UK and Labour politics.